Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to continue my series called Does the Bible Teach a Pre-Tribulation Rapture? The Bible talks about the end of this age, ending with a period, a terrible time really, called the Tribulation, which is also a time of judgments being poured out on the earth. It's described in great detail in Revelation, in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 onwards. And um, we, all the signs are that we are getting very close to that. But uh, the Bible also talks about the church being raptured. And the, the controversial issue is, is the rapture before the tribulation starts, or does the church have to go through the tribulation and, and this time of the wrath of God called the day of the Lord? I believe that in the pre-tribulation rapture, that we'll be raptured before this tribulation begins and their series is to is to look at this issue in in some detail the rapture of the church is the final event of the church age the ingathering of the harvest of the church when christ comes for his bride which is all the believers in christ who've been saved during the church age and he will come and he will take them to heaven the dead in Christ will be resurrected and we who are still alive will be transformed into immortal bodies without experiencing death and will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me in my Father's house, heaven, and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And these are the words of a bridegroom to his betrothed bride, saying he's going to go away to heaven, to prepare a home there for his bride where they will dwell together forever. He promises her that he'll come again and receive her to himself and take her back to heaven where their marriage will take place, the wedding. And this, this passage establishes a number of key truths about the rapture which distinguish it from the second coming when he returns in power and glory to take over the whole earth. First of all, in this passage, the rapture is a coming of Christ for believers only. Unlike the second coming, which involves everyone, his purpose is to be reunited with his bride and to take her to heaven. Whereas the purpose of the second coming is to judge his enemies and establish his kingdom on the earth. In John 14, notice that Christ does not come and land on the earth and, reign and dwell here, as he does in the second coming, but he comes close to the earth to receive his bride to himself. In fact, Thessalonians tells us that we will meet the Lord in the air. He then returns with his bride to the place he has prepared for her in heaven, where bride and bridegroom will dwell together, uh, during this time of judgment on the earth called the day of the Lord or the tribulation. And then at the end of that tribulation, we will return to him in his second coming. And in Revelation 19, you see the bride in heaven and then she returns with Christ in the second coming. Those who teach a post-tribulation rapture say that when Christ returns at the second coming, we will rise to meet him in the rapture and then immediately do a U-turn and go back with him to the earth. But this contradicts John 14, which says that when Jesus returns in the rapture, he will take us to the Father's house in heaven. Now Christ also reveals the rapture in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Let's go there now 
The setting is in verse 1. It says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then the disciples asked him three questions, and his whole talk is, is built around answering these three questions. Number one, they say, tell us, when will these things be? When will the destruction of the temple be? Number two, and what are the signs for that? Number question two, what will be the sign of your coming? And question three, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now the end of the age, this is the term santelia. That isn't the same thing as the second coming, which is the telos, which means the final end of the age. The end of the age is really the closing period of the age, or the consummation of the age. In other words, the tribulation. And the Jews called it the period of birth pains of Messiah. A unique time of tribulation leading up to the birth of the messianic kingdom on the earth. Well, Jesus answered the first question about the temple's destruction. That's recorded in Luke 21, uh, and we, we don't have time for that today. Now, the second question is, asks for the sign of his second coming. Now, although they ask for a sign, he actually gives a whole sequence of signs leading up to the second coming. First, he describes the beginning of the tribulation, which he describes as the beginning of birth pains. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's world war. And there'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. In other words, worldwide pandemics, famines, earthquakes, all happening together. These are, all these are the beginning of birth pain. So when the tribulation starts, all these worldwide terrible things will start happening all together. And that's exactly what we see in Revelation 6, when Christ opens the first six seals. Paul builds on the teaching of Jesus, and he also refers to these labor pains. He says, 1 Thessalonians 5, The day of the Lord, the tribulation, so comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So here, Paul describes the judgments of the day of the Lord beginning suddenly in the world. Normal life is going on, and then suddenly... The labor pains of the tribulation will break out. Like labor pains coming on a woman, it, and labor pains continue and intensify until the end. And so that's the first sign that the beginning of the tribulation is like the beginning of labor pains. Um, and that corresponds to Revelation 6, the birth, the uh, breaking of the seals. Then, Jesus described in Matthew 24 the major sign that will take place three and a half years before the end, and Jesus references Daniel's 70th week, which is Daniel 9:27, which is yet to be fulfilled, which describes the last seven years before the second coming, in which it predicts that Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel for seven years, but halfway through the seven years, he will break it, desecrate the temple, with the abomination of desolation. And in the context of giving the countdown to his coming, he names this event of the abomination 
three and a half years before the end as a major sign. And that's in verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place in the temple, let, then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, he's not talking about events in the first century because as terrible as they were in the Jewish war when the temple was destroyed, um, they're not the worst by, that the world has ever seen by any means. And, and in fact, the next verse shows how bad it's going to be. It says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. So mankind would become extinct. That's how bad it is. And so that hasn't happened yet. This is a future prophecy. Notice that Jesus calls the second half of Daniel's 70th week the Great Tribulation, which is set three and a half years. And this end time marker is confirmed in Daniel 12:11, which gives the exact time to the day, to the very end. He says, from the time the daily sacrifice is taken away by the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Finally, Jesus described the cosmic signs at the end of the tribulation that will herald his second coming in power and glory. He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Uh, and then he also talks about how the sun and the stars will be blotted out. And these th signs will all happen just before the second coming of Christ. Now, so now you see he's answered the second question about the sign of his coming. And they also asked him about the sign of the end of the age, which is a different though closely related issue. What signs herald the tribulation, in other words? How can we know when it's close to starting? So in other words, he's, he's finished answering the second question, so now we expect him to answer the third question, which is, what are the signs of the end of the age? What is the sign of the tribulation about to begin? How can we know we're getting close to it? And, and as I say, we expect him to address this next, and he does, in verse 36, when he says, but that day and hour, and he's talking about the start of the tribulation. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In other words, it's secret. It's God's secret when this will start. In other words, there, there will not be any signs. It's a secret. No one knows. Now, the but here that begins this verse is the translation of peri day in the Greek, which is a structural marker indicating that he's now moving on to a different issue, namely, when the end of the age or tribulation will begin. In contrast to the day of his second coming, which is clearly signposted and with timings and knowable in advance, this day when the tribulation starts is unknowable without any signs. But it's in the next few verses when he, where he sh throws something completely new into the mix. For he also describes this day as his coming. So as well as him coming at the end of this time of worldwide judgment, he says he will come before it begins and initiate this time of judgment. Now let's read now in verse 37 to 39. 
But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The flood provides a a fitting type of the tribulation because that's the only other example in history of a worldwide judgment. So the flood corresponds to the tribulation. In that case, in the days leading up to the flood, normal life was going on without any signs of what's about to happen. And then suddenly judgment fell uh, and it was too late for them to escape it. The key event triggering this judgment was Noah and the other believers entering the ark. For on that same day, the rain began to fall. In other words, just before judgment fell, there was a physical relocation of believers to a place of safety above the scene of judgment, even the ark, a type of Christ. Jesus said that's what will happen at his coming. The final event before the tribulation flood, the tribulation judgment falls, is the disappearance of the believers into Christ, the ark of our salvation. They'll be lifted to safety and then the tribulation judgments will start to fall that very same day. In Luke 17, Jesus also compared the day of his coming to the day of Lot's escape from Sodom, just before judgment fell. He said, likewise as it was also in the days of In the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, planted, built. But on the day that Lot, the very day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Thus Jesus is teaching that while life is going on as normal, before the tribulation judgment start, the believers uh, will be evacuated from the scene of judgment, and then the time of judgment will begin. As in the days of Noah and Lot, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And that's confirmed by the next verse, verse 40. Jesus said, Then, on the day of his coming, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women grinding at the mill, one taken and the other left. Now the word taken here is paralambano whose primary meaning is positive. It means to take to be with, uh, as in Joseph taking Mary to be his wife. And it's the very same word used by Jesus in John 14 that we already saw when he promised to come again and receive us to himself. That word receive is paralambano. So Jesus is speaking here of an unknowable day when he will come to take us to be with him just before he starts to pour out the tribulation flood on the earth. And uh, that is obviously different from the knowable day when he will return to bring these judgments to their climax at the second coming. Then uh, he emphasizes the day of his coming, which initiates these day of the Lord judgments. uh, And he keeps emphasizing very strongly that this day is unknowable. Uh, In other words, it could happen at any time. And then he uses that to motivate us to always be spiritually awake and prepared. Verse 42, he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And this says even believers can't know. Can't know when he's coming. This is called imminence. 
which says that God has kept the timing of the rapture secret, so as far as we're concerned, he could come at any moment. And as we've seen, this does not apply to his coming after the tribulation to establish his kingdom. Because if you're in the tribulation, you will know the signs and the timetable, and you'll know exactly when Jesus is returning. But this coming in the rapture, there are no signs. It's imminent. And so we have to always be ready. Christ further emphasized the sudden, unexpected, unpredictable, imminent nature of the first phase of his coming by comparing it to the coming of a thief. In verse 43 he said, but know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, this surprising analogy of him coming as a thief is surely a deliberate contrast to his coming in power and glory when he comes to take over the house of the earth and turn all the lights on. The purpose of a thief isn't to take over the house or to turn its lights on, but to come quickly, take the valuables and then leave again. This perfectly describes the rapture. Christ will come to take his precious ones. And soon enough, the world will realize that many millions of believers have disappeared. It will seem as if a thief has come. But of course, he's not a thief. He's only taking what belongs to him, those he's purchased with his blood. But the world will experience this sudden event as a thief in the night. But for us, we will experience it as the bridegroom coming for his bride. Praise God. Now, Paul uses the very same language in declaring the tribulation will begin with the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, the day of the Lord, the tribulation, so comes as a thief in the night. That's the coming of Christ to take us home. So the tribulation starts with the thief in the night. It starts with the rapture. For when they say, that's the world, peace and safety, normal life seems to be going on, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. In other words, the, the, just like Noah's flood suddenly came on the world, so the tribulation flood will suddenly become upon the world and it will be like these labor pains all happening together. And it says they shall not escape. There'll be no escape now from this time of tribulation. Notice this coming of Christ as a thief takes the world by surprise because they will be experiencing peace and safety since their tribulation hasn't started yet. But once he extracts his valuables, then the tribulation judgments will suddenly start ever escalating in intensity like labor pains. Not only do, you, do we not know when Christ is coming in the rapture, we also do not know when he's not coming. Because Matthew, because verse 20, 44 says, Therefore be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is a very strong statement of imminence, designed to humble all our reason, human reasonings as to when Jesus will come. It says that whatever rationalizations we might come up with to determine when he can't come, that's exactly when he will come. In fact, in speaking about the day of his coming, the main thing he keeps underlining is its unknowability and its imminence, in contrast totally to his coming in power at the end of the tribulation, which is clearly signposted and predictable. So he must be talking about two separate days. And exactly that's what Luke uh, 17 says. It says, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. 
This is confirmed by the fact that in the days leading up to his coming in the rapture, before the tribulation, normal life is going on and the world is saying peace and safety. This is impossible to reconcile with the days leading up to the second coming, described as being far worse than any other time in history, with the bowls of wrath being poured out and Armageddon underway. When things are so bad, Jesus said that no flesh will survive if he didn't cut those days short by his return. It, it's totally different. So this is different. The time before the rapture is different from the time before the second coming. So, Jesus answered the disciples' question about the sign of his coming in two ways. Since it was to be in two phases, before and after the tribulation, it was necessary for him to give a twofold answer. First, he described the day when he would return as king at the end of the tribulation, which would clearly be signposted and knowable to anyone in the tribulation. Then he described his initial coming to initiate the day of the Lord. This must be a different day. First, because unlike the first coming, the, sorry, unlike the second coming, it's unknowable and signless. Secondly, we know it's a different day because in the days leading up to the coming in the, in the rapture, normal life is going on and the world is saying peace and safety. So Christ coming in the rapture is imminent and the only view that upholds imminency is pre-tribulationism. The Olivet Discourse also continues into Matthew 25, which describes judgments of those who are still alive at the second coming, in which Christ excludes um, all unbelievers from the Messianic kingdom and removes them from the earth. First, you see the parable of the ten virgins, which says that the five virgins who didn't have the oil of the Spirit, who weren't born again, and they're excluded from the kingdom at the second coming. Then he described the judgment of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, uh, 31. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And notice this judgment is at the second coming and its location is on the earth. So this is different from the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, which takes place after the thousand years. Then it says, all the nations, all the Gentiles will be gathered to, before him and he'll separate them one from the other as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And this is a judgment of all the Gentiles who've survived the tribulation to determine which of those will be allowed to enter the millennium king, millennial kingdom. He separates them into two groups according to their nature. They're either sheep, the believers, or goats, the unbelievers. In verse 34, he describes the sheep as blessed, possessing eternal life. He says, he says to those on the right, Come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So they inherit the messianic kingdom. But in verse 41, he describes the, cur the goats as accursed and under everlasting damnation. He says to those on the left, Depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And all these unbelievers are removed from the earth to a place of everlasting punishment, first to Hades and then uh, eventually to the lake of fire. And it concludes, these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So it's absolutely clear that no, no unbelievers who survive the tribulation will be allowed to remain alive to enter the messianic kingdom on earth. Instead, they're dismissed to a place of punishment. So only the believers who are alive at the second coming will be allowed to possess the kingdom. Other scriptures also confirm 
that Jesus will remove all unbelievers from the earth at the second coming, so only believers enter his kingdom on earth. For instance, Jesus said that the tribulation will, will be like the days of Noah, when all the unbelievers were killed and removed, and only the believers were allowed to populate the new earth. Also, of course, all the remaining unbelievers will have taken the mark of the beast, and so they'll be punished at the second coming. And 2 Thessalonians 1 states that clearly, that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In other words, it will be too late for the unsaved once Jesus returns. Their chance to repent is before he comes. Also in the parable of the tares in Matthew 13, Jesus made the very same point. He compared the world to a field with two types of seed, the good seed, who are the sons of God, and the tares, who are the sons of the evil one. And then he says at the end of the age, which is the harvest time, the tribulation, all the tares are gathered and thrown into fire. Then, thus, in other words, by the end of the tribulation, all the unsaved will be removed from the earth into Hades. And only the righteous by faith will remain to enter the kingdom. Now, if all believers are raptured at the end of the tribulation, then there'll be nobody left in their natural bodies to populate the millennial kingdom on the earth. Because all the unbelievers will be removed by the rapture. And all unbelievers, all the believers are removed by the rapture, and all the unbelievers are removed by death. That means the post-tribulation view is logically impossible. The rapture, therefore, must take place years before the second coming, in order for there to be enough time to produce a new crop of believers who will populate the millennium. Only the pre-tribulation rapture fulfills this requirement. And moreover, the pre-trib view is the only view that preserves imminency, the fact that Jesus Christ could return suddenly at any moment. And that's a major theme of the New Testament. We've already seen a number of verses that talk about that. Jesus, in fact, finishes the Bible in Revelation 22, saying three times, Behold, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming suddenly. So let's be awake and let's make sure that we're ready to meet the Lord and loving him and serving him with all our heart, because he could come at any moment. So let's eagerly watch for his return. Let's eagerly look and wait for his imminent return. Jesus is coming. Be ready. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. In fact, he could come at any time. And when he comes, he's going to come and receive us to himself in the rapture. And you know, the rapture is one of the most exciting subjects in the Bible. And I want to encourage you, if you want to know more about the rapture, if you want to kind of build up that joyful hope inside you, that of Jesus coming for you, then let me encourage you to read my book, The Pre-Tribulation Rapture, and that's going to bring you into this subject in, in a new way. And I believe it will bless your life and fill you with the hope that of meeting Jesus. Jesus, the hope of glory. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford. OX3 7QH. 
You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.